Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Community Church. Say good morning, everybody online. So good to see our online community. We well, so good to look at the cameras to think of our online community. <clears throat> we thank you for being here. Thanks to everyone who helped out this weekend for our uh, CFK dinner. It was a great time last night. Um, yeah, it was good. A lot of people helped. Um, food was excellent. And uh, we made some cheddar, so it was good. That's what we did. More cheddar, more kids. I don't know how that works, but you can figure it out. So we're going to... Uh, yeah, we're just going to just take a minute. Just take a deep breath. Whatever you've walked out of to come here today, I just want you to be in the freshness of the Holy Spirit right now. Sometimes when we get in the car and we come here and we enter the building, it's like we have to do church today. I want to just change that a little bit. How about we be the church today? Right? This building, we call it a church, but it only becomes the church when we come here. And um, over the years, I've, I love nothing more than corporate worship Encourage. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you hear our prayers and our cries. You protect us. And you keep us really under your wing. We just love you. Just ask and pray this in your name, Jesus. Um, no, I can't pick it up. Your name is like honey on the lips. Your spirit like water to
And so if you feel like get to your feet, we're going to continue in our, our worship with the music, lifting up our voices, and we're going to worship as Brett shares the word.
I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart. 
Just you guys, lift your voices. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Oh, yeah. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadow. Burn
Give him all the praise and the glory. Speak Jesus. That's my that's my jam there. That is my jam for real. I speak Jesus. Just think of what it says. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Break every stronghold. He can do that, you know. Yeah. Shine through the what? Hey. Come on now. Anyway, I'm not gonna start. I'm I'm gonna do announcements. I'm gonna be good. Uh, be good. I don't know if y'all feel it. It's heavy in here. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Anyhow, praise God. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. Welcome to the Vineyard Community Church. We are glad you could join us here at the Vineyard and all of you at home. Our service today is streaming live on Facebook, and you can also find us on YouTube. We are continuing our fall book study, The Reason for God. So I don't know if any of you have been doing any, uh, have started in, or in a small group, but this is, this is a good study. It's going to make you think. The Reason for God, Pastor Brent Paulson's message today is called, Is There Only One Way to God? Found in John 8:48 through 59. Grab your Bible or cell to look up today's text. You will also find it written in your bulletin, also with a section to take notes. 
We encourage each of you to join us in, in with a small group as we go through the study together at church. Groups will look at questions such as, is the Bible a myth? How can you say there's only one God? Why does God allow suffering? Our small groups are listed on the back of your bulletin. A big thank you to everyone that helped donate baskets or just attended the CFK fundraiser yesterday. It was a great success. Woohoo! Let's see. Um, the vineyard is once again having a small, once again is having a neighborhood fall harvest festival here. Yay! We haven't, wait a minute, y'all. We're having a fall festival, so we're good. Come on now. We haven't had this in a minute, so praise God. That is good. Also, sorry, there is a care team meeting this Wednesday, October 11th at 7 p.m. in the sanctuary. We will be discussing important information for the coming year. So leaders, please make every effort to attend. You received an email regarding this if you should be attending. Excuse me. At this time, we'd like to take a minute to honor our pastors. Um, Melinda, would you please come up? Okay. This is my best thing to want to do. <laughs> um, I practiced this joke, and my husband told me that if I would do a joke, that I would fail miserably, so you guys are all spared. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> If I can get Pastor Brent and Teresa and Pastor Jim and Pastor Denise and Pastor Scott and Pastor Jackie, Dr. Jackie, up to the front, please. No. <laughs> and we're going to um, have the children who uh, are our future um, we want to bless you guys with them the ver for the very first um, part of this. Yes. Oh, you can block me. <laughs> <laughs> and, Mr. Scott, Scott, Scott. Come on, 
We're not done yet. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, before we proceed, I'd like to take a moment to express my gratitude to each and every one of you, our congregation, our family and faith, for coming together to make today's Pastor Appreciation Day possible. It is your unwavering support, dedication, and love that creates the strong, nurturing community that we have here. Your presence here today is a testament to the bonds we share and the importance we place on acknowledging the incredible work of our pastor and our God. May I present to you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our pastors are a beacon of light, a spiritual guide, and a source of inspiration to all. As we gather here today to honor and express our heartfelt appreciation from the remarkable leaders who shepherd our congregation with unwavering dedication, I am reminded of the profound impact our pastors have had on my life. In the world filled with uncertainty, our pastors have been a steadfast pillar of faith. Through their wisdom, compassion, and unwavering commitment to our spiritual well-being, they have provided us with the guidance and support we needed in both our brightest and darkest moments. Today, as we come together to celebrate Pastor Appreciation, let us not only express our gratitude with words, but also with action. Let us continue to support and uplift our pastor in their mission, pastors in their mission. In closing, I wanted to say thank you, pastors. Your unwavering commitment to our spiritual well-being is a gift 
that words alone cannot do justice. You have touched our hearts, strengthened our faith, and inspired us all to be better people. We are truly blessed to have you as our shepherds, and we are, thank you from the depths of our soul. May the journey as your pastor continue to be filled with God's grace, wisdom, and love. We look forward to many more years of learning, growing, and being inspired inspired by your leadership. Thank you, pastors, for all that you do. May God bless you abundantly. We are truly blessed to have these men and women standing in front of us. We are truly, truly. Let's give them another. Yes, yes. And also, Roland and I have been at this church this month coming up under Brent's for 33 years, 33 or 34. So we're blessed. We are blessed. So. I always like to say, if you're looking for a home, you want to be here. So I'm going to pray. Father God, we just come to you this morning. We are so excited for the shepherds and the leaders that you have put in front of us. Father, I ask that you would continue to bless all that stand in front of us, these men and women of God, Father, who it is not easy because a lot, too much is given to much is called to do, and we do have that. So, Father, I ask that you would bless them abundantly above that which they could ever think, hope, ask, or imagine, Father, because you are a great God. And, Lord, you give to your children. You love your children because they always put you first, Lord God. They always put you first. So, Lord, today, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for a pastor's appreciation. And, Lord, let us continue to show our appreciation and love for our our pastors and continue to pray for our pastors, Lord. Continue to keep them in good health. Father, continue to supply every need that they would have, them and their families, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. We ask you all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. We love you so much. We love you so much. Don't forget today's offering. We have a small table set up at the back of the sanctuary for your offering or donate with Zelly. Thank you all so much. We uh, have a blessed week, and now Pastor Brent will come up with our lesson. What is it? The reason for God in. Is there only one way to God? Hmm. Hmm. God bless you. guess I, um, well, there you go. I brought the right drink today. It's rain, king drink. It's about a, it's a king thing. Crown thing, king thing. 
Um, morning. Good to see all of you, new and old, old and new, young and old, everybody. So um, today we're going to continue on a series in uh, The Reason for God. It's a book that Tim Keller wrote. It's kind of, it's an apologetic, which doesn't mean it's, apologetic doesn't mean that you're apologizing for something all the time. It's giving an evidence for something. And so today's talking about, um, is there only one way to God, or is Jesus the only way to God? And in some ways, the question isn't exactly how I would ask it, because I don't think that, in, in some ways, Jesus is the one who came to us. We didn't really go to him. Does that make sense? He comes down to us. He came down to us. And that's one of the uniquenesses of, of Christianity, is that it's about a God who comes down to us. And instead of it being a bunch of teachings on how to get to God, Christianity is more a proclamation of news. It's a proclamation of good news that God has come to us and come to change our status. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about how God changes our status. And so... Um, before I even talk, I'm going to show you a video clip. And this was done about nine years ago by Bono. Some of you know who Bono is. He's the lead singer for U2. Um, and Bono is a Christian, and he has been. And there's some really cool stuff online with Bono. You can watch this interview he does with Eugene Peterson that's amazing. But this was just a short interview with, I'm not even sure who the guy who's interviewing him is, but it's a really cool interview, I think. poetic truth, um, as well as the sort of historical stuff I'm, I'm, I'm in, interested in. And of course there was a histor historical Jesus. No, I'm talking about God. Oh, right. And, and do well, you I see, I'm the, per the person of Christ is my way to understand uh, God. Do you pray? Yes. To whom or what do you pray? To and Christ. Way? To Christ. Yeah. And, and what do you pray for? I pray to get to know um, the will of God, because then the prayers have more chance of coming true. I mean, that's the thing about prayer, isn't it? I mean, we don't do it in a very lofty way in our family. There's just a bunch of us on the bed, usually. We have a very big bed in our house. And all our, we've prayed with all our kids. We, we you know, we just, we, we read the scriptures, we pray. It's not even regular. Sometimes if we go to church on a Sunday, we go when the church has ended and we'll just go in on our own as a family. For peace and quiet. For peace and quiet. And we'll pray, usually about people that we know who are struggling with something. Um, illness so, or so, so whatever. Then what or who was Jesus as far as you're concerned? I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the earth, 
for 2,000 years have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, I so therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So, so when you pray then, you pray to Jesus. Yes. The risen Jesus. Yes. And you believe that he made promises which will come true. Yes. I do. Hmm. He either said who he says, is who he said he was, or he was a nutter. Nutter. I like that. I like that. Well, Father, would you, in your great power and wisdom and grace, give me words to communicate your words, Jesus, as you were debating and dialoguing with um, the religious leaders of, of your day and with people who were trying to get their hands around who you were. And so, Jesus, we welcome you into our conversation and into our community today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And just a reminder, any of you that are involved in um, uh, small group or in leadership of small groups of um, ministries, or if you're um, on the council, um, try and be here on Wednesday night for our care team meeting. It starts at seven o'clock, so um, it's going to be a significant one. So hope you can make it. Um, so we're starting in John eight, which is a really interesting passage. It's John's Gospel is very different from all the other Gospels, in case you haven't noticed. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a general tenor of similarity through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Synoptic Gospels, because, not because they're all the same, because they're not, and there are differences. And sometimes people have said, oh, there's differences, they contradict each other, and it's like, well, no, they're not contradicting each other. Each of the writers is writing from their own perspective and I believe is, is inspired and directed by God to focus on certain things that are, are more significant. And, and those things come out of their passion and their heart, but also work with God. So we, we believe that there is a dual authorship to Scripture, that it's authored by the human authors, but it's also authored by God. And so God is able to work through the human authors to communicate what we want to know. So John is often called the apocalyptic gospel. Now, when you think of apocalyptic, people usually think of end times and that kind of stuff. That's not necessarily what it means. What it means is um, apocalyptic usually has to do with imagery and visualizations and images and pictures of seeing into God's kingdom or seeing into another realm. Um, Seeing into the multiverse, as someone might say today. So, um, this, is, this passage in John 8 is taken at the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a really amazingly cool feast. I really didn't know a lot about this until I read more about it. That, you know, it's funny, you read the Bible a lot and you come across these things. The Feast of Tabernacles was pretty amazing. And they, did, they had this thing where the, that was called the Festival of Lights. And at the Festival of Lights, they would have four people with these massive lights 
and they would light them, and then everybody else would have lights. And they said, you know, it was said that you could basically see everything everywhere. It was like daylight. There were so many people with torches and lights, and they would dance and celebrate. It was a big party from morning into, or from the evening until the morning. It was just a giant big celebration to God. And, you know, for those of us um, who, now I don't want to be... Um, uh, racially insensitive to white people, but to those of us who are white, it's very uncomfortable to see people, because the priests used to go around and dance with these torches all night and do all kinds of you know, wild and crazy things, and I think if I would have been there, it would have been very uncomfortable. Like, it's getting a little too emotional here. We need to back off a little bit. But anyway, um, be that as it may. Now, I'm not saying all people are unemotional. Not all white people are unemotional. I better stop just there anyways. I get it. I have all the white people mad at me by the time I get done. Um, anyway, it was this big celebration, and it was a celebration of lights. And it, it was at this point that Jesus begins doing all these I am statements, and he says, I am the light of the world. You know, and they were like, oh, cool. And it was a celebration of when God brought them out of Egypt, and, and there was a pillar of fire which lit their way at night, and a pillar of cloud that directed them during the day, Right? So there's some pretty cool stuff going on here. This is pretty amazing stuff. And, it, and this thing was, it just like I said, literally, the, the, the goal was to be able to stay awake all night, and, and some of these priests and some of the people involved in it would hold all kinds of um, fires at the same time for hours at a time. Which, I'm like, man, that's a lot of work. And certain people had small cigar stands at the Feast of not really, just kidding. Um, all right, we'll pick up the, so we pick up there in, in John 8, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Sounds kind of cool, right? Well, it wasn't. Then they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. Now these are people... It says, to the Jews who had believed him, believed Jesus in what he was saying and doing. Their response gets defensive really quick. He's hit one of those spots that we're a little bit tender at. Did you ever, has God ever like put his finger on something that you're like, Ugh, don't touch me. Don't, don't, what did uh, Sting had a song or the police, don't stand so close to me. You know, it's like, don't stand so close to me, Jesus. We're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, there's a bunch of challenges with that very statement if you know anything about the history of the Israelites, right? Never been slaves to anyone? What's, wasn't there kind of that whole Egyptian thing where you were enslaved for 400 years? Didn't Babylon kind of in, come and enslave you for another, whatever, 400 years? And speaking of enslavement, aren't the Romans kind of occupying your country right now? So what are they speaking about? I think they're speaking about kind of an inner freedom. Almost like in um, uh, that famous... Uh, um, movie about the leader of, I believe it was Scotland, who, who said they may take our houses and our 
in Braveheart. They may take our houses and our, you know, our farms and our everything else, but they will never take our freedom. And I think, well, they've taken everything, but they don't, I don't you know. And, but we kind of get that, don't we? That we, can, we, we have this sense like, no, no, I'm really free inside. And I think that's what they were speaking about. But Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. And we'll get to that in a minute. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. In other words, you believe in me, and yet in some ways you're trying to kill me. I'm telling you what I have seen in the, in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they said. We belong to Abraham. We're, 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 this is the, the good Bible-believing people. These are the sons of Abraham. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would have did what, do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham would not do such a thing and did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? It's because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, which is really interesting. That just hit me. He's speaking his native language. He speaks the language of lie, which is really interesting. For he is the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm telling the truth. Why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe me? Why don't you believe Jesus? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you don't belong to God. The Jewish people answered him, or the religious people, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Now, we've, remember, we started out verse 31. They were the people that believed in him, right? And all of a sudden, we're in verse 48. And I'm picturing myself in this passage, and I'm thinking, I tend to like things not to escalate. And if I were there, I'd be going, now, Jesus, let's not rile the crowd. Why don't we just, let's just bring it down a level here. Let me, let me be a, let me be a, you know, it, it's getting a little intense in here. And Jesus, you seem to be making it worse I'm not possessed by a demon, Jesus said, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say whoever obeys your words will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? 
Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. By the way, I don't have all of this up here today because it's just too much. So I'm reading it, and then I'll go through it. Sorry about that. I should have told you that, Cindy. Uh, Cindy's back there trying to find it. Where is it? I'm not seeing any of this on here at all. I was like, I totally forgot to tell you that. Um, but I do know him and obey him and, and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now this, at this point, this gets really weird for everybody except Jesus. You're not even 50. In fact, he was about 33. And you said you've seen Abraham? Time traveler, back to the future, Lee Iacocca, you know, aluminum car, you know. Anyway, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Whoa. At this point, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And Father, just bless your words to us today. Lord, just reading that is just amazing. And, and I know this fits in a lot of our lives. So please come and help us and help me communicate it. Amen. In John fourteen six, when Jesus is talking about dying and and he's telling the disciples not to be upset, not to be worried, that he's going um, to prepare a place for us. And when he prepares a place, he'll come and get us. And the disciples start asking, where are you going? And they, said, they go, we don't know the way you're going. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that brings us to the question, is Jesus the only way to God, or ultimately, who... Is Jesus Christ to you? So the first answer that Jesus gives is that he's a liberator. He's a liberator. He said, if you hold on my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you abide in them, if, you, if, they really, if, if my teachings are embedded in who you are, you'll be able to experience complete freedom. You, you, you won't be in bondage. And again, this creates a, a conundrum for the religious people because they're like, well, we are free. We're Abraham's children. We're born children of God. We're born you know, as, as Abraham's children. Isn't that what God said? That we're, we're part of the God's chosen free people? And freedom, and freedom for everybody's really significant, and especially in this country, isn't it? Land of the free and home of the brave. We live in a, quote, a free country. Can we, live, can we be free and yet not be free? I think so. I think it's really easy to be free but not be free. There's a lot of things that hold us in bondage, isn't there? Sometimes it's addictions. Sometimes, I remember so many times, and this is just so common among addicts. And, and I'm a, hi, I'm Brent, and I'm an addict. So, hi, Brent. Um, you didn't say hi, Brent. You're supposed to say hi, Brent. Thank you. Um, 
I am. Um, you know, it was funny. When I was in the throes of my full, the fullness of my addiction, I would literally tell people, I can quit whenever I want. I just don't want to. And then my brother called me on it one day. And he made me sign. I don't know how he got me to sign this thing. It said, it said, if I can't stop for 30 days, I'll go into treatment. And my brother had a lot of clout in my life still, enough to carry weight with that. And I thought, I can, I can do this 30 days. About, the, about 30 minutes later, I'm going, how am I going to do this? I can't do this. How am I gonna? And, I, and I, that was, I think, when I went to my first meeting. And I got to the first meeting, and I'm like, well, I don't really have a problem with alcohol. I listen to music too much, which is true, but that wasn't really my problem. But the fact was, I was in bondage. I was in bondage. And the Israelites that Jesus is speaking to, it said they wanted to believe in him. But they were in bondage too. What kind of bondage would religious people be in? Well, we can be religious and be in just as much bondage. There's kind of, I, I love this, the story of the, the prodigal God, the two sons. Remember the two sons? The one son goes out and does whatever he wants, spends all his money on wine women and, and whiskey. I don't know, the three W's, I guess. And, and the other one stays home. And the other one, the one that stayed home was good. And, and yet when it comes time to throw, that when his father throws a big party for the, the son who's gone out and wasted all his money, he said, the older son said what? I have been slaving away all these years for you. So we can be religious or even involved in a religious community and still, it can still be a slavish relationship. I think that's part of the reason that Jesus says, no slave has a permanent place in the family, but the son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And he contrasts the difference between being in a, a servant relationship in a house or in a church or in anything else and being a child, a daughter, or a son. There's a difference. Now, when I was listening to, I was listening to Tim Keller's message on this, and he was using the quote from Downton Abbey, of which I know not much about. I've seen one episode, and that was when I was trapped in North Dakota, or in North Carolina with... 11 other leaders from our church and they had a the place that we rented had a had an in-home theater thing and they made me watch Dunton Abbey and so I was a slave to Dunton Abbey but anyway one of the th interesting things in there is there are two different groups of people there are one group of people in that in Dunton Abbey who are the servants and one of the servants did one thing wrong and she was out she was out. And the kids, it seems like, I don't know a lot about it, it seems like they were doing all kinds of stuff all the time. Were they out? No. Why? Because they were kids. Does that mean they should have been doing all that stuff? No. But the fact is that that Jesus has the ability to move us. And, I, and this is a word for some of you this morning, that you have lived your Christian life as a slave in a slavish relationship with God. 
where you never feel like you're good enough, you never feel like you pray enough, you never feel like you read enough. How much is enough? I went through this in my own Christian life many years ago. I'd been a Christian for a while, but I still was living under a lot of bondage. And that was a year that I discovered I was OCD, but it was also a year that I did three 40-day fasts. Three 40-day fasts. I lost 60, about 60 pounds because I was trying to get right with God. I thought, well, I'm not, I, know, I don't know how to quite get right. And I know there's still like this sin in me and there's stuff in me. And it, and it wasn't like some blatant sin kind of, but you know what I'm talking about? Like how we always feel like, well, I'm not quite, I'm not really what I should be. I think wrong things and blah, blah, blah. I shouldn't think this way. I shouldn't do this thing and stuff like that. And so I spent one year doing that. And, we, and, and you, I believe there are some of you that live in, a lot of us actually, who live in that kind of slavish relationship to God. And I think that's what Jesus was dealing with here, with the children of Abraham. They were living in a slavish relationship with God. And freedom, as Jesus defines it, isn't free to do whatever we want. There's this, a song that came out. The Rolling Stones actually wrote it. And then there's another, it's a weird name for a group, the something or others. The, the, I, I can't remember the name of the group. Later on that made it more popular. But it was, I'm free to do whatever I want any old time. It said, I'm free to do what I want any old time. I say, love me, hold me, love me, hold me, because I'm free to do what I want to be what I want any old time. I'm free to be who I choose. I'm free to get my booze any old time. And it was written by Keith Richards, which kind of makes sense. But, you know. And so there's this idea that's a negative freedom. It's freedom from constraints. Freedom from constraints. And we live in a society where, where people are, are in bondage to trying to find out who they are or what they are. It's like, We've created this weird society that has become so narcissistic and so inward-looking that that we literally spend a lot of time focused on ourselves, and that can be a kind of a bondage, can it? We go into a place and we think, "What? I bet they're all thinking about me. What are they thinking about me?" And the fact is, oftentimes, and this isn't unusual to have people. Come in and go, you know, I would come to church, but everybody's going to be thinking it. They're all going to be looking and thinking at me, fun, looking at me funny or thinking about me. And I go, I would that were, that were true, but actually they're probably mostly thinking about themselves and how they look to everybody else. And so we're all sitting there looking and wondering how we look to everybody else, and we're all freaked out about it. And there's a bondage in that too, isn't there? It's kind of funny. It's like... Somebody defined it like this, and I thought it was kind of cool. They said it's like everybody, the, our world is becoming a little bit more like this because we're, we're trying to find identity not in who God says we are, but in who we think we're supposed to be, what we think we're supposed to be, what gender we think we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be. And, and we're getting ourselves into more and more bondage sometimes. And he said it's kind of like if every, say you get a thousand people in this auditorium, everybody's screaming their own name at, at the top of their voice in hopes that one other person will hear their name and acknowledge them. 
You know what? There's somebody who has already acknowledged you. And his name is Jesus. Negative freedom is, is really not freedom at all. Do you know what they call a fish out of water? Dad, <laughs> it's my joke. Is that your joke too? No? Okay. That was my joke. Dad, is a fish free to jump out of the water tank? Yeah. He's free to do that. Are we free to do what we want any old time? Well, sort of. Can I jump off the top of the terminal tower? Well, yeah. It's not going to be necessarily beneficial for me or fruitful for me. One of the things that I've tried to come to grips with and I'm a little bit better with is that when I'm actually living under the instruction manual that God has given, which talks about giving instead of receiving, about being focused more on somebody else than I am about my, than I am with myself, about um, forgiving my enemies, about loving my enemies, loving my friends, about trying to serve instead of just wanting to be served, about being in the, even, you know, just spending more time being concerned about how somebody else is. I've discovered that there is an amazing amount of freedom in that, in giving, in giving, in giving. And so the first point I want to make is that Jesus, who was Jesus? He was the liberator. He came to liberate us. And he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth that I'm a fallen human being who needs a savior. That sets me free. The truth that I'm, you know, there's, there's something really cool when when somebody in recovery finally comes to that place, and it takes a long time sometimes, that they just go, you know what, I am an alcoholic, or I am a drug addict. And there's a freedom that comes off of that, or the freedom sometimes when somebody just, when they quit trying to pretend like there's something. Or there's a freedom when somebody finally confesses something that they've been holding inside for their whole life maybe. They've never shared with anybody. There's a freedom in that. And so the first point is that, that, you know, I am free to do what I want any old time, but that's not necessarily going to lead to life. There's a cool passage where Jesus, Jesus says, um, Enter by the narrow gate, for, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go by it, but narrow is the gate, that, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. What's he talking about there? The best description I ever had of this was many years ago, Teresa and I used to travel out to California, Southern California all the time, because her aunt lived out there, and she got us free tickets to Disneyland. Yay, it was fun. And we, had a great, we had a great time. We didn't go there just because we got free tickets. We went there to see Teresa's aunt and to go to Disneyland. Um, but one of the things that we used to like to do, we usually had rental cars, so we would take the rental cars, and if you know anything about L.A., there's these big mountains all the way around L.A., and there's kind of sort of dirt roads way up there, but they're really small and narrow and kind of a little bit precarious. But it was a rental car, so I'm like, hey, this is not a rental car. But what's really cool is that as hard and as much work as it's getting up to these roads, you get up to this 
place. And it's just amazing. You look out at all the lights of L.A. and all the mountains and all the beauty. And that's kind of what the Christian life was. When I first came into a relationship with Christ, I I really felt like he was going to constrain me. I felt like what I was doing is I was saying, okay, because I was. I was saying okay to his book, to the Bible, and to what he said. And, and I was surrendering to him. And I felt like, boy, this is a, this is, I don't know what he's going to have me do. I don't know if he's going to want me to be a monk my whole life, a celibate my whole I don't know what he's going to want me to do. And one of the things that I've discovered in, in my Christianity, like, like C.S. Lewis said in his book, Surprised by Joy, I was surprised by joy. I was like, oh my gosh, this is liberating. This is amazing. I got to, had to, got to do a, a service a little bit ago for a 26-year-old um, sister of my, my daughter's boyfriend. And, and, it, and it was really painful and challenging, but there was something wonderful in bringing hope to this, these families. And I just got done with that, and I thought I told Teresa, said I could do that the rest of my life. It's bring hope. There's something. Jesus is the the liberator. Jesus is the confronter. Jesus said, "If God were your, were your father, you would love me, for I've come from God." In other words, I'm from. God. One of the things that always has astounded me about Jesus. And so you have these people that have spent their whole life studying the Bible, studying who Jesus was, studying who God was. And yet when Jesus comes, their understanding of God is so upside down and backwards, they think he's what? The devil. They think he's the devil. Basically, that's what they call him. They call him a devil or a demon or you're, something is going on with you. It's so, it's so radically different. You know, I think it's... I kind of wonder if the devil would have showed up if they would have went, yes, it's our Messiah. You know, I don't know. But Jesus said, if God, God were your father, you would love me for I've come from God and I didn't come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. When he, when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. And there's this whole thing that Jesus is going on, and he's confronting the brokenness in, in humanity. He's challenging us. And I remember before I became a Christian, My biggest stumbling block in Christianity was Jesus. He made me mad. Why did he make me mad? I don't know. But it just made me mad. In some ways, I was kind of like, you know, I I wouldn't mind Christianity without the Christians, because I don't like them, and without Jesus. But other than that, I I really would be okay with Christianity without Jesus and without Christians. Who do people say Jesus is? Ultimately, they said, you're the devil. Because the second thing he offered them was not only freedom, but he said, if you hold to my words, you'll never taste death. You'll never die. He's offering them eternal life, and, he, and, he's, and they're saying, 
Are you greater than our father Abraham? Abraham died. And you're saying you can give life? And he goes on in that whole process. And he says, and I'm going to jump to the end here. He says, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him. And I obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. You know, the people were waiting for the day of the Lord. You know what Jesus' coming was? It was the day of the Lord. It was the beginning of the new age, the beginning of the inbreaking of God's kingdom. It was the beginning of, of God restoring the world to it, what it was supposed to be. It was the beginning of him bringing, making all things new. Everything was old and dying, and he's making everything new. And they said, and he said, your, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it and was glad. And they're going, what in the world are you talking about? Are you saying you were around when Abraham was around? And he said, he said, you're not even 50 years old. And then he says this thing that is so unbelievably either egotistical or if it's true, astounding. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away. Why does that make them so upset? Because what Jesus is claiming there is the very same thing that God said when Moses asked him, whom shall I... You remember when, when the people were crying out to God to set them free from Egypt? You know, They're crying out, and God says, I've seen their cries, I've heard their cries. I've seen their bondage. I care about them. I'm going to come down. And Moses goes, you know what? I can't do this by myself. There's no way I can go in front of Pharaoh and his armies. And, and, and God says, don't worry about it. I'll go with you. And, and, and Moses' response was, well, whom, whom should I say is going with me? I don't even know who you are, God. I don't know what is your, what is your name. And God said, tell them that I am is coming. I am. I am means the cause of all causes. The uncreated creator. The being that didn't have a beginning or an end, that just is. The one who holds the universe in his hands. The one who created all that is. The one, the, the one who has no beginning and has no end. The I am. And Jesus is saying, you do not get this, but the very person of God has been walking in your midst. In the beginning of John it says that, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And Jesus is walking in their midst with them and they don't recognize the very God 
who is the essence of being. And when he said, before Abraham was, I am, he is saying something so profound that we cannot even begin to understand. He is saying, somebody put it like this. Tim Keller was talking about this. He said he had a Sunday school teacher once. He told him, he said, she said, it was a woman. She said, you know, if the, the distance between the earth and the sun was one sheet of paper, the distance to the outer reaches of our own galaxy would be 300 miles of thickness of paper. And our own galaxy is just a, is just a pin drop in the whole universe. She said, the one, the, who, the one who's, who, you, who you're talking to, this one who said I am, is the one who holds that together like, like a little pin on his finger. And she said, you don't ask somebody like that to come and be your assistant. She says, you ask somebody like that to come and be your Lord. Let me just finish with this beautiful poem. And some of you might think that you've heard this, but you haven't. It's called, it's called Mary's Song, but it's not the Mary's Song you're used to. It's a poem by Lucy Shaw. Blue homespun and the bend of my breast. This is Mary speaking. Keep warm this small, hot, naked star fallen into my arms. Rest you have had so far to come. Now nearness satisfies the body of God sweetly. Quiet he lies whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps whose eyelids have not closed before. His breath, so slight it seems no breath at all, once ruffled the dark deeps to sprout a world. Charmed by doves' voices, the whisper of straw he dreams, hearing no magic from his other spheres, breath, mouth, ears, eyes, he is curtailed with overflow like all skies, all yours, older than eternity, now he is new. Now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet, caught that I might be free, blind in my womb to know my darkness ended, brought to his birth for me to be newborn, and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. Lord, Yahweh, I am. May your presence dwell in and with us and through us. And may we be people, not of the lie, but of the truth and of you. And I feel like there are many people here who have been living in bondage, not just bondage to whatever, but bondage even in their own relationship with God. And I want to invite you, whether it's where you're seated or if you want to come up here, 
just hold your hands out and just just going to pray. Father, come and let the spark of heaven, you who are the great I am, rest on these hands and move from these hands to our hearts, to our minds and transform us and may they move on our feet that we may walk in the ways that you desire. May you free us from our slavishness as servants to daughters and sons. Bring your freedom here, I pray, Jesus. Amen. If anybody wants prayer, please come up, and we would just be glad to pray for you.